1: But, yeah, I was very nervous. You know, I remember I was, I was playing with players who had won World Cups and, you know, played 100 tests. And so I was nervous. It was intimidating. But over time, when you prove yourself, you become more part of the fabric of the team and, and then it, you quickly become a leader. You know, that, there's, a, there's an inflection point where you become a follower. But if you do the right things often enough, uh, people start uh, following you, you know. And really, that's the point when you have become a leader. So, as soon as people are following you and, and you're leading by your actions and you're influencing people, then you're a leader. You know, it doesn't matter if you're not the captain, but you're a leader in the team. And the team that has the most of those people will probably win.
2: Hi, this is Caroline Stephen, and this is Talking Trading Centurion, Titan, Captain Courageous. These were all names to describe former Wallabies captain, Stephen Moore. Stephen is known as one of Australia's greatest rugby union players. On Talking Trading, we have a variety of guests, not just share traders, but elite business and sports people. We're interested in the mindset of champions. Stephen played 24 tests for Australia and led the country to two World Cup finals. Stephen talks about his habits, his routine, and what it takes to be an elite performer. And finally, when the eyes of not only your teammates, but the entire world are watching, what does it take to be a good leader? Current Bullaby captain Michael Hooper has said that Stephen Moore is the first person to say that it's not all about him. And Stephen is well known for being respectful, humble, and authentic. Stephen has huge quiddity. Here's Louise Bedford with a little bit more about this term and how it applies to you in mind power.
0: I've come across a new term and I am just using it everywhere at the moment. It's called quiddity, and quiddity is the inherent nature or essence of someone or something. So what is your inherent nature or essence? What do you stand for? Are you in line with your true values? You know, I even think that quiddity can be applied to different projects or different activities that you're undertaking. So as a trader, what is your quiddity? What is your true essence? Do you stand strong and follow your stops? Do you follow your written trading plan because it's a matter of integrity and that's who you are? What is your quiddity as a trader? I sometimes find that these simple little tricks, these tools can help just make me trade so much better if I incorporate them into my life. I hope you like the word quiddity. Think about how you can apply it to your life today. Think of how you can apply it to the people who are around you. I think we all need to hone our liquidity so that we can be the best trader that we can be. Hi, I'm Janine Alice, founder of Boost Juice Bars and Shark on Shark
2: Tank. And I listen to Talking Trading. Stephen Moore is known as one of Australia's greatest rugby union players. He played 24 tests as captain for Australia, and he's the only Australian hooker to play 100 tests. He is the 14th most capped player of all time. Stephen Moore, hello and welcome to Talking Trading.
1: Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And that's a very flattering introduction. I really appreciate it.
2: (laughs) Centurion, Titan, Captain Courageous. These are all things you were called. Which one was your favourite?
1: <laughs> oh, look, for me, it was about the team success. I think the whole time I played, you know, one of the great things about team sport, particularly at a professional level, is is the camaraderie and the, the sharing of, of all those great memories. So, uh, you know, rugby for me wasn't an individual thing. It was all about sharing, sharing all those good times and also the difficult times with with my teammates and that's what makes it great.
2: You are pretty massive, though. You're pretty much taking up the whole screen with your shoulders, I have to say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have to move back a little bit. It's, yeah. it's
2: fine. <laughs> Stephen, did you grow up playing rugby?
1: I did actually. I grew up in a very small town in central Queensland called Mount Morgan, which is a, a very old town. Um, once was a very thriving gold mine. Uh, gold mining town so I started playing rugby when I was uh, five years old Um, the rugby club was at the end of the street and mum took me up there and uh, and and packed me off to the rugby club and that's where I first started playing and uh, you know I I ended up playing for 30 years after that so it's been a huge part of my life but that's where it started and uh, running around in bare feet um, in in regional Queensland so you know I always say to people that it can start anywhere and if you want it enough and you work hard enough, you can achieve whatever you want.
2: It's inspiring already, but you also swam and played cricket.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, swimming. The pool was across the road as well, which is you know, Mount Morgan's only a town of about three thousand people, so pretty much everything's either across the road or up the road or around the corner. So it's not a big place. Uh, the, the local swimming pool was was across from our house, and uh, once again, we had four four kids. There was four of us under under four at one stage. So as we grew up, we were very close and. We all swam a lot at the local swimming club, and, and ended up swimming a lot around Central Queensland and all the carnivals around around the region. So, yeah, swimming, rugby, and cricket was a, were probably my three main sports as a, as a kid. Uh, and luckily, you know, they're also three big sports in Australia, so I was able to to grow up watching watching on TV. And I had a lot of heroes in all those sports that I really looked up to.
2: What else is there to do in a small Queensland country town other than play
1: sport? That's right, exactly. And that's why I think it's a really good place to grow up. You know, there's plenty of room, plenty of space and and plenty of opportunity to do things like that. And I really hope that we we continue to do that in regional Australia.
2: So when did rugby go from being a hobby for you that you're obviously good at to becoming an all-consuming passion and obsession and something that you knew you wanted to do full time with your life?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and a lot of people think that it was early on, but it wasn't actually until I left school, until I was about 19 or 20. I'd left school, i have studied at university full-time, and
2: Bio-science. I,
1: it was, yeah, biomedical science, yeah. I wanted to do medicine when I left school. Uh, so in Queensland, you do an undergraduate degree first, and then you go on to to try and gain entry into medicine. So that's what I wanted to do. Uh, But when I left university, I started playing at at Uni Rugby Club, which is my my club, and I started playing under-19s there, and then that's when I started to, I suppose, take it a little bit more seriously, and uh, we still had a lot of fun at that time, but take it a little bit more seriously, and I got the opportunity then to train with with the the Reds, which are the professional rugby team here in Queensland, and from then, I started to think, well, maybe this is something I could do more of and take a bit more seriously, and and then I was lucky enough to get awarded a full-time contract when I was 19 uh, with the Reds to train full-time. And, and from then, that was the start of it. And that's when I had to really knuckle down and, and make some sacrifices and, and start to, to get that discipline in my in my life to, to try and realize uh, my potential and my dreams in professional sports. So I, I still did my study along the side and... and uh, and it completed my degree. It took me a little bit longer than maybe it would have normally, but I finished that degree, and and then I ended up obviously playing for the next fifteen years and and traveling the world. And uh, yeah, I was very lucky to be able to do that
2: in trading because this is a share trading podcast. We have a thing called the yeah. winners' effect. We're on a streak of winning trades, and our confidence builds. Did you experience mm-hmm. the winners' effect early enough in your career? Which changed your perception of what you're going to do.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm a strong believer in that. Like winning's a habit and losing's a habit, and I think uh, it's it's all about how it affects your mindset. So you know, people that win regularly get that confidence, they get that reinforcement. Uh, they that that doubt. Tends to to sort of escape them, you know. When you when you're losing or you have a run of losses, the self doubts the thing that creeps into your into your headspace. Is is this the right decision? Is it is it the right way to go? And doubt is is a real, you know, doubt and fear are are a real inhibitor of progress. And I think. If you, if you have those things in your headspace, it makes it really hard to go forward. So when you have a win or and multiple wins and you start to get on that streak, as you say, that doubt goes away and you have supreme confidence in your ability. And, you know, of course, that can border on complacency and arrogance and things like that. There's all those other things that can creep in as well. But if you may, if you can contain those things and really manage it, then you know, confidence and and, uh, and winning becomes a really powerful thing.
2: How else did you manage self-doubt and fear?
1: Preparation. Yep. So the better prepared you are, the, the less doubt you have. I'm a really strong believer in that and I think... Uh, confidence comes from preparation you know and, and in our game we had the opportunity to prepare all week for for what was at the end of the week usually we played on the weekend so all week you have to prepare mentally and physically for that 80 minutes on the field and so it was pretty cut and dry for us you either had prepared well enough or you hadn't there wasn't much in between and I was always confident by the end of the week if I had done all the things that I usually do in my preparation both physically and mentally and and I think if you do that, it takes away uh, that element of doubt. and You have confidence in your performance. So, And likewise, if you haven't done it or you've cut corners during the week, then you've probably got reason to, to, uh, to have a bit of doubt or lack some confidence.
2: It's such a fascinating topic. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to delve a little bit further. So what sort of yeah, stuff did you prepare me. with, both physically and mentally?
1: Yeah, I always had a pretty strict routine. So you know, do this on Monday by Tuesday. I wanted to have that done, you know, physically, mentally review the game, you know, look at areas to improve uh, nutrition, recovery, sleep, all those things. So, you know, if I got to the end of the week and I'd had three bad nights sleep, I, I used to, I'm not sure if this is the right approach, but I used to get worried about my preparation. So sleep, nutrition recovery were always massive in my week and I had to tick those things off to feel comfortable by the end of the week that I was ready to go and and through that you develop habits you know so habits are really what you do often so um, you know once you get into that routine they become habits so you don't actually think about them you just do them and if you get into that mindset over and over that that's what high performance is it's repetition of elite behaviors and elite Um, you know thoughts and actions uh, that that's what gets good outcomes consistently and and most people can achieve good things sort of every now and then but it's the elite performers do it all the time and that's what sets them apart
2: we have a favorite quote in common the navy seals commander who organized the raid on osama bin laden do you make your bed every morning
1: yeah, well, I've actually read that book. It's very interesting, Make You Better. And I, I've given it to a few of our staff here at our, at our workplace. And I think it's a really good, simple analogy to make about achieving something every day. And you know, if you get out of bed and you can do that first thing in the morning, that, that sets that, that good habit, that good standard that you carry into the rest of your life. And you know, I'm a really big believer in symbolism and the little things matter. And you know something like making your bed would seem pretty insignificant to a lot of people, but it's more the, the habit and the, the symbolism of doing it that then creates that mindset around achievement and discipline and that that then sort of extrapolates out into the rest of your life. So you know, it's not easy to get your head around some of those concepts, but when you do you know you realize the power of them.
2: Let's go back to you. you became a wallaby in the early 2000s. How did you feel going into such an elite team and how did you grow into becoming a wallaby?
1: Yeah, I felt all the things you would expect. I was nervous, I was insecure, I was um, self-conscious, you know, was I good enough? Should I be there? All the things that you normally would expect to feel in those environments and this is, what is it, it's 15, 20 years ago now so uh it was a little bit different back then you know there it was a pretty tough environment the older players didn't really speak to you that much like they probably do now it was more a you know prove yourself to get to get to this point so so and I, and I thought that was fine you know i had to prove myself and prove that i belong there and that i should be there so i think that drove me to work harder and to sacrifice things and to be disciplined and and to improve on my individual game and, and ultimately that would contribute to the team success. So, but yeah, I was very nervous. You know, I remember I was, I was playing with players who had won world cups and, you know, played a hundred tests. And so I was nervous. It was intimidating, but over time, when you prove yourself, you become more part of the fabric of the team and, and then it, you quickly become a leader. You know, that there's a, there's an inflection point where you become a follower, but if you do the right things often enough, um, people start uh, following you, you know, and really that's the point when you become a leader. So as soon as people are following you and, and you're leading by your actions and you're influencing people, then you're a leader. You know, it doesn't matter if you're not the captain, but you're a leader in the team and the team that has the most of those people will probably win.
2: My gosh, current Wallabies captain, Michael Hooper, he was on the news last night, says that you're a man of your word and you are the first person to say that it's not all about you. Why were you chosen to be the captain of the Wallabies?
1: Uh, look, I don't i don't really know. I, I guess at uh, the time, you know, we'll, Michael Checker, who was the coach, made a call that, you know, I was I was the person who he thought would, would be the best for that team, and captaincy is all about the team, and certain captains suit certain teams in certain times, you know, so uh, everyone who's a leader has good capabilities and stuff that they need to work on, but you know, I guess at the time, it was Michael's opinion that I was the, the person to, to lead that team, and I was very, very lucky because I had people like Michael Hooper and others in my team who were also very strong leaders. And as I said earlier, the, the lead, it's not about the captain, it's about the leadership team or the leadership group. And I think a, lead, a good leadership group filters down through the entire team because not everyone is going to resonate with every one person, you know, so... Someone else in the leadership group might tap into a few other people that potentially that I would see things that I wouldn't see as the captain, and then that gets brought back to the table and considered at a leadership level, and, and you go from there. But uh, I really am a strong believer in in the power of a good leadership team and a leadership group working together is very very effective. And when you're all on the field together and you can trust each other, then that that's really powerful, and you can you can really do some good stuff.
2: Everyone has setbacks in life and you had a huge setback. In 2014, you were playing a test match and in the first 10 seconds, you injured your ACL and you were sent off the field for the entire season. How did you recover from that setback, both emotionally, psychologically and physically?
1: Yeah, at the time it was, it was terrible. You know, I really, I valued the opportunity to captain the country and uh, it was my first test at home in Brisbane in front of all my friends and family. So, And it was literally in the first 10 seconds, so uh, uh, couldn't happen much earlier in the game. Uh, so off I went, I got a scan and I knew pretty quickly that it was really quite badly injured. All the ligaments had, had been torn and I was going to have a long recovery. So I sort of got a sense of that very quickly. And I actually had my surgery two days later, so... Uh, 48 hours after the injury, I was already in my head. I was on the way to recovery. I had the repair done and it went well. And the other thing is I remember sitting there in the hospital in my bed watching the news and I thought, you know what, here I am. I'm playing sport um, full time. That's my job. I've just injured my knee playing rugby. You know, it's not the end of the world. I think you have to only have to turn on the TV to see how many bad things are out there. And, and how many people have it far tougher than I had it at that time. So it gave me a lot of perspective early on and and I, I really used that perspective to drive me. You know, I was only a sportsman recovering from a sports injury. know, wasn't in a life-threatening situation. I wasn't in a war zone. I didn't have to wake up and think about where my next meal was coming from. There's just so much more in life that people were doing it, a lot tougher than me. So... Now, that's the view I took through my recovery, and and thankfully I had a really good rehab, got back on the field, and the next year you know, was was really fortunate to get that opportunity again to lead to lead the country in 2015 uh, in a World Cup, which was a massive, you know, massive memory for me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but but on reflection, you know, as I said, I, I think sometimes you think these things are really important, but they're actually not.
2: So let's go to the two thousand and fifteen final. It is the World Cup final, and the entire world is watching you. It's televised everywhere. Cameras are all over you. You're running onto the field. How do you deliver?
1: Yeah, well, it's we, we ended up we lost the game. So I guess uh, we weren't successful in that in the end. But and um, you know, we played against a very good team who deserved to to win the World Cup on that day. So that whole week, it's a massive week. You know, it's just a big week. There's so much on. There's media. I remember we went to Buckingham Palace and met the Queen and all that sort of stuff. So there's all that peripheral stuff. And it's actually quite hard to focus on the game, particularly for some of the younger players. So we spent a lot of time in the week saying, this is, as I was talking about earlier, just keep the discipline in your preparation. Do the same thing you always do. Don't miss anything, you know. Just I know there's a heap of other stuff on and, and attention and media, but you've got to keep keep your preparation, and that falls on the senior players and the leadership team to lead that. So, uh, you know, very conscious of that in that week and in the game. You know, we went out there and played as well as we could. You know, I thought I was really proud of how we played, but New Zealand were better on the day and they deserved to win. So, sometimes you give it everything and it's just not good enough. And I think in that on that on that day and in that tournament um, New Zealand deserved to win and but I was very proud of, of the way we performed throughout the tournament
2: as captain of the Wallabies where the buck stops with you is that a different pressure from merely being a Wallabies player
1: yeah very much so and it, that's a great question and Probably comes back to leadership full stop. When I wasn't the captain, the only thing I had to worry about was my own preparation. You know, when I got to the game, I I just went in my own headspace, get myself ready to play really well. So when you're the captain, you've got everyone else to think about. you're, You're speaking regularly on behalf of the team. You've got to talk to the referee and the media before the game. Now, there's a heap of other peripheral stuff that you have to be able to manage, and that takes time, and it did take me some time to get used to that. But uh, the buck does stop with you, and you've got to be comfortable with that. And I, you know, I think that's a great responsibility and a great honour to have. But you have to be really prepared for it because you know you have to. The good the good times are great, and the tough times are are not so great. But that's leadership, isn't it? Leadership is not a popularity contest. It's about respect and people respecting what you stand for, and you actually putting your hand up and say, "This is what I want our team to look like." and now, Michael Checker taught me a lot about that, about really, really being clear on what your purpose is, and what your why is, why you're actually asking someone to do something. And if you, if you can answer that, then people will do anything for you. You know, so that, that's something I learned a lot through my time with Check. Um, and it's not always about making the easy decision or the popular decision. It's about what the best decision is for the team. So I try to do that most of the time.
2: So in something like trading, it's very autonomous and you can be very self-focused and quite selfish as captain. You have to balance the needs of your own ambition with the needs of the team. Did you always get that balance right? Was that a hard balance?
1: yeah, I think I got better at it, but I found it a challenge at the start because I think the other thing about being captain or being the captain is you also have to perform well yourself. you know, and I was never took my eyes off that. You know there's no point being the captain if you if you can't make the team, for example. So you need to be a high performer and uh, and that's really powerful. If you go out there and deliver on the field, that has a lot of carry around the team, you know so, I was I always found that a really important part of leadership. You know, you can say what you like, but if you go out and do it as well, then that's that's a really good part of being being a leader. So, you know, that, that's that's what I try to focus on. I think most most really good captains out there are are always in the top handful of players in their team. Um, in most cases, there's examples where that it works. If that doesn't happen, but generally you'll find that happens.
2: And that's all for today's episode on Talking Trading with former Wallabies captain Stephen Moore. Please make sure you are tuned in for the second half of Stephen's interview next week as we continue talking about his illustrious career. I'm Caroline Stephen. It's been a pleasure to bring this episode to you today. Happy trading. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts and make sure you give us a big, fat, five-star review. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.